BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, Ketchup Crew, Mark Ellis here. So this week, Jacqueline, Brian, Producey, Lucy, myself, we're all sitting on the beach. Molly's grabbing us some drinks. It's called self-care, but we didn't want to leave y'all hanging. So this week's episode is a bonus of our new podcast after show that we wanted to share with y'all. In this episode you're about to listen to, expert panelists Scott Mance and Mike Kalinowski and host Jacqueline Coley hey, I know that name, show off their lifelong love for the iconic Indiana Jones franchise and debate their favorite indie moments. This was taped back in February, so some prognostications may be a little outdated, but we think you really enjoy it, so stay tuned, and don't worry, the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong crew will see y'all next week, where we're going to chat about our favorite rotten Adam Sandler movies, Billy Madison, Big Daddy, The Water Boy, what else could pop up, and special guest actor and director Mark O'Brien is along for the ride. Thanks for being loyal and lovely fans. And we'll see y'all then. Enjoy the show. That is why Indiana Jones is crucial to the plot of Raiders of the Lost You're only giving Force. evidence as to why he's crucial to the plot of finding the thing that they but, didn't want to be found. If you're arguing that if they never would have found the Ark, they never would have had these problems, you're right. They never would have had these problems, and we wouldn't have a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The After Show. Today, we're going to take a look back at the legacy of the Indiana Jones franchise, celebrating its iconic placement in cinema and answering some of the most popular questions that series has built up over its run in pop culture. Today, I am joined by two incredible guests. I have enjoyed speaking movies with them individually. So excited to bring them together here for The After Show. First, we have Mike Kalinowski. He's an actor and author. Also, we have Scott, Mr. Movie Mance. He's a film critic. <laughs> Folks can find him at Movie Mance. And both of them are huge Indiana Jones fans. First, Mike, Scott, how y'all doing? Fantastic. Very excited to talk about what could be the greatest quadrilogy of all time. But <laughs> is it the greatest quadrilogy of all time? I'm sure we're going to answer that question really fast. Wow. You know what? Wow, I think a lot of films are going to enter the chat to like come at you on that one. But I I do appreciate your love and affection for all of it, including the fourth. Uh, Mike, sir, how about you? How yes. are you doing today? I was going to say we're going to talk about the greatest trilogy of all time, but uh, that really <laughs> we can't. Toy Story can't be talked about anymore because of the fourth one dropped in there. So I will defer to the group. 
and uh, talk about Crystal Skull as well. Let's go ahead and start with uh, the Brass Tacks. We're talking about these four in individual films. All of them were directed by Steven Spielberg. Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is certified fresh at 95% with an audience score of 96. Temple of Dune, certified fresh at 84%, audience score of 81. The Last Crusade, certified fresh at 88% with an audience score of 94. And The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, certified fresh at 78%, bringing up the rear of the franchise and an audience score of 53% because oh. folks were upset, <laughs> upset about that fourth installment. Scott Vance is not one of them. This leaves the franchise with an average rating of 86% on the tomato meter and 81% in the audience score. This is something that I think the DCEU would literally hand over other bonuses to get <laughs> that kind of a cumulative rating. Yeah. Uh, but this is what's crazy. So ladies and gentlemen, we have... Indiana Jones in the chat today. Like, let's talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was Temple of Doom. That's the movie that I remember. I remember the theater at the Coral Springs Mall. And I saw it with my mom. And I walked out of that movie theater and I go, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do when I grow up. And my mom's <laughs> kind of like, like, like an archaeologist. And I was like trying to make the distinction. No, I want to be an actor. So that's the movie that I, I credit to ah. being an actor. 2003. I got cast in the role, and then for about ten years, I played Indiana Jones at at uh, the Disney MGM Studios. So, uh, so, wow. so did, did you did you have to keep running running away from that boulder every oh, single day? It was <laughs> Scott. That's my favorite part of that show. And oh, wow. uh, if you've seen the show, it's divided into three acts, kind of based on the movie. And after the first scene, you're Indy by yourself stealing the the fertility idol, and I come down, and the sets are kind of being broken apart, and and this is where the actors and the extras are brought on stage. And one of the cast comes up to me. He's like, Hey, you nervous? And I'm like, no, I've done the show for years now. He's like, go look in VIP. And I look in VIP and there I see that familiar gray beard and the flannel shirt at, at the time. And then George Lucas was sitting in the audience with his oh. family. And then I, I don't know if you could see this picture. Oh, yeah. That's, me. That's me during the show cool. after the oh, show. Wow. With him. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. That is awesome. Awesome. That is so so cool. yeah, indeed. And then later in life, this guy came along, and now this is Indiana Bones right here. Oh, so. adore. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, a film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to Raiders. The critics' consensus for Raiders of the Lost Ark says, Featuring a brother of set pieces, sly humor, and white-knuckle action, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the most consummately entertaining adventure pictures of all time. Is, is Raiders the best of the quadrilogy? I mean, of course it is. It's a masterpiece. Even Steven Spielberg said it is a perfect movie. It was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Picture. Raiders of the Lost Ark was nominated for Best Picture. Do either of you know, without looking it up, what movie did Raiders of the Lost Ark lose Best Picture to? Raiders of the Lost Ark. I have to think of what year it is. and then I'm I trying to think. So 80, 89 was Last Crusade. And right, so it was right. 81 is Raiders. Right. Is it okay. Chariots of Fire? It is Chariots of Fire. Way to go. Excellent job. Well, you so got that's the, a, you got that's the movie trivia, Friday. Scott. That's movie trivia schmodown there, buddy. That, that is movie know. trivia yeah. schmodown. Because so, this Raiders is what I have to do time. with best pictures. I have to count them backwards. Yeah. Like I have to well, literally start with the ones that are today and go backwards with a, with a naming thing. Yeah, I don't yeah, do the yeah. damn schmodown because it's <laughs> ridiculous. 
Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark did win four Academy Awards for art and set direction, sound, film editing, and visual effects. And it was made on a budget of 18, that's one eight, $18 million. And it grossed and at the time in 1981, $390 million worldwide. But, you know, getting, getting past all of the statistics, which are, of course, really fascinating. The thing about Raiders is that you could have made that movie today and it would, have, it would have looked and felt exactly the same. Even though it takes place in 1936, it has a timeless feel to it. Nothing about it in terms of its movie making, in terms of its structure, in terms of the actors and the screenplay and the direction. None of it feels dated at all. It is still just as exciting, as fun, as exhilarating, <laughs> and even as spiritual because of the whole thing with the, with the arc. It, it still feels vital and current you know, more than 40 years later. That's why it, it is it is the best of the bunch. Mike, so yes. now that we're, now that we sort of started into Raiders, what is your favorite moment from Raiders? Because again, it's such an iconic entry in the series. It's what kicked it off. Yeah. It's a lot of people's favorite. Uh, well, the whole opening temple scene is wonderful, but as I'm getting older, the what I gravitate to and what sticks to me is just the whole bit of, you know, it's not the year, sweetheart. It's the mileage. You're not the man I knew 10 years ago. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel that in my body every day. Uh, and, and it just, it, it just, it sums up the character, the dialogue, the script is so, is so tight and, and stuff. You know so much about Indy and just these little nods. So that to me, just as Indiana Jones and what I think about him. So scene wise, it's that opening temple, but that whole scene with him and Marion where she's, you know, where, where does it hurt here, here, here? Yeah, that's great. I just love it. It's just such a perfect film. Perfect. Yep. Film. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I will admit I love the Big Bang Theory episode where they talked about the stupidity of Indiana Jones, which I know originated on Reddit, which is, this is the thing with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is an, an incredible movie. Folks love it, especially. But <laughs> he doesn't matter. Indiana Jones plays no role in the outcome of the story. Like, if he weren't in the film, it would turn out exactly the same. The Nazis would have still found the Ark, taken it to the island, opened it up, and all died, just like they did. Scott's face. Scott's, Scott is just like. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. I, I, that is I, absolutely Scott, false. Oh my God. I'm gonna give absolutely my... false. I I know Scott's How, dying though? for this. How? Just... Like, give me the. What's the evidence that it's false? Let's, Would they not? Okay, I'm going to defer it? to Scott and then I'm going to chime in with Scott because I know he I, wants to know. I have out. been up all night. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Wait to answer this question. That is not true. And here's the proof the Nazis. Mike and Jacqueline, what were they doing? They digging were digging. The place. They were digging in the wrong place. Exactly, Mike. And why yep. were they digging in the wrong place? Because the staff that they were using for the for the the staff of Ra was too long, mm -hmm. so they would not have found the Ark. It was Indiana Jones who found the Ark. That is why Indiana Jones is crucial. To the plot of Raiders but you're of the only Lost giving Ark. evidence as to why he's crucial to the plot of finding the thing that they but, didn't want to be found. So how is he crucial no, to the, the plot of saving the world? To your point, you said the Nazis would have never found the Ark. If the Nazis never find the Ark, for purposes of our, of our saving the world, 
the world gets saved at that point because they didn't find the ark. Okay, the only reason but, why they wait, the only reason why right. they found the ark was because Indiana Jones directed them to it. So yes, that makes him consequential, but that makes him consequential to the part of effing it up, not to the but, part of but, saving he, the world. But the question is, and this is this is what they brought up in the Big Bang Theory. The issue, the debate is is does Indiana Jones matter to the plot of this movie? And Amy from Big Bang Theory is saying, no, he doesn't. And I'm saying, yes, he does. The, Tell the, the me thing. how the world does not get saved without Indy. And I think Wait, Jacqueline, that is more. I think That's that point, Jacqueline, about. is is the fact of like, you know, the No Way Home argument in Spider-Man. is like, yeah, Mysterio or Doctor Strange could have wiped out Mysterio's memory instead of what he did in the movie to have a movie. We don't have a movie then. If you're arguing that if they never would have found the Ark, they never would have had these problems. You're right. They never would have had these problems, and we wouldn't have a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Scott, I'm, I'm not going to debate you on that one. All I will say is there is an argument also to be made that if he would have just sat there and ate his food, he would have been just fine. <laughs> Real quick, though, Marion's um, only performance, and I have to give her like buku credit because when I went back and revisited the other one, she was such a refreshing thing for me in comparison to Temple of Doom, the protagonist and that who's, <laughs> that's Steven Spielberg's wife, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so, at well, the time. Yeah. Spielberg's wife, that's where they met. Uh, yeah, that's I, I agree with you completely, Jacqueline. Uh, Karen Allen as Marion Ravenwood in Raiders of the Lost Ark is such a big reason why Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best movie of the bunch. Because mm -hmm. among the many reasons why Raiders feels so timeless, you have this character, a woman who is Indiana Jones's equal. She mm. gave as good as she got. She was on his level. She was just as smart as he was. She was just as strong as he was. I learned to hate you in the last 10 years. I never meant to hurt you. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. You knew what you were doing. Now I do. This is my place. Get out. The two of them, Harrison Ford and Karen Allen, had amazing chemistry together. And I just, they were a great, great, great team. And, but back in 1981, a character like that was, was few and far between. Now... Uh it's yeah. different, and that's another reason why Raiders of the Lost Ark holds up and it still feels so current because you have such a strong character like Marion Ravenwood. She's great. What's what's so great about Raiders, what I think is interesting about Raiders, is Raiders is a big-budget version of the old Superman. Uh, remember the old Superman episodic with George? With the cliffhangers. George, yeah, with, yeah, like that. That's exactly what Indiana Jones is. And, and, and Marion is his lowest lane. And so that's why this one I felt, especially Raiders had so much that it borrowed from what Donner was able to do when he put Superman on the big screen and sort yeah. of translated that episodic serial into it. Let's move on to the Temple of Doom. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. <laughs> 
consensus for this one, it may be too dark for some, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune remains an ingenious adventure spectacle that showcases one of Hollywood's finest filmmaking teams in vintage form. All right, so is it India? Is it the Temple of Doom that gave us PG thirteen? Is this correct? That is correct, Jacqueline. Yeah, two movies that came out in nineteen eighty four led yeah. to the creation of the PG-13 rating. One of them, you are absolutely 100% correct. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is one of the films. That, Mike or Jacqueline, do you know the second movie that led to the creation of PG-13? No trivia master. I knew uh, that first answer. I'm not participating. Okay. I'm going to do less. Do less. Gremlins? <laughs> is it Gremlins? Gremlins? Is it Gremlins? Mike, you are on fire, my friend. Yeah. yeah. Gremlins. So, so, so basically, Steven Spielberg is the reason why we have PG-13 because he directed Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and he produced Gremlins. So thank you, Steven Spielberg, for <laughs> PG-13. <laughs> what about you, though, uh, Mike? What's your favorite yeah. moment from Temple of Doom? It's got a lot of very oh, I man. I, I mean, the opening scene, him and that white tux, like – you know, and again, a lot of people like uh, Spielberg was originally courted and he wanted to do a Bond film. That was his big thing. He wanted to do a Bond film. And they just with the broccoli, uh, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman at the time, they just never clicked. This was kind of pre Jaws, too, with him when they were looking at him. And Lucas, you know, came up was like, hey, I got this character, Indiana Smith. You know, it's kind of my take on Bond. It's like these great franchises and great things that we have for films came from them not being able to do other franchises like Flash mm. Gordon or James Bond. So we get indie. And this to me brought a lot of James Bond with the, the, the white tux looking yeah. like Sean Connery and Goldfinger. They do the whole scene and the gong and they're rolling behind the thing as the bullets and they go out the window. And it's just that opening scene is just phenomenal. Nice try, Lao Shay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Lao Shay. And, and I know Willie Scott gets a lot of flack. Actually, yeah. I think Willie's important because you understand why Indy should be with Marion. Like yeah. you knew him and Willie were never going to be together, but they set up the fact that, Oh, he need Marion is him. That that's yeah. who they need to be together. So I really like Marion or, or, or I'm sorry, Willie, like for that reason, um, short round, like yeah. short rounds. Great. Is, like I don't even want to call him a sidekick, is- but he's yeah. awesome. Oh, another kind of girl! Hey, Dr. Joe, no time for love! We've got company! We're going to get know. into short round, and then also to the other aspects, because, look, for ju- not just the darker tone, there was other aspects of it that, in, under closer expression, some people have really looked at the way it portrayed indigenous yeah. peoples in this movie. Uh-huh. And, and those stereotypes, unfortunately, people remember that still to this day. It's one of the things yeah. that people associate you know, indigenous, like that's how we got words like savage is from imagery yeah. like this, that that sort of permeated throughout culture that allows people to think that these people's traditions and thoughts are savage. When meanwhile, you know, to get, getting someone to explain, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Christian communion, we're eating the body of a dead person. It's like, well, you know, looking at that from a certain lens, some people, you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think right. we, do, right. yeah, we need to give a little bit of credence to the fact that there were aspects and including short round, um, just this yeah. idea of the sort of not disposable because short round was a huge part of this plot, but disposable in the franchise. He doesn't show up again. Uh, right. Sidekick minority character who's there just in literal service of the white main character. Don't think that's the same kind of Indiana Jones story we'd see today. Scott, I know you have feelings on Willie, so uh, I, well, I, well, 
well, first of all, the you know, oh my God, I get that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom takes place the year before. So Indy had not yet been reunited with Marion Ravenwood, but to go chronologically from movie to movie, to go from Marion in Raiders to Willie Scott in Temple of Doom, I mean, she's so grating. She screams 71 times. <laughs> I mean... The biggest trouble with her is the noise. For the love of God. But I will say this about Temple of Doom. It is absolutely far and away my favorite of the sequels. I don't think it's better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I do have to say that when I go back and watch one of these four movies, Temple of Doom is the one that I watch the most, even though, you know, Willie Scott is kind of a kind of a, a annoying. But this movie, where the first movie cost $18 million, the second film, Temple of Doom, cost $28 million and it grossed $333 million worldwide. It won only one Academy Award for visual effects. It was also nominated for John Williams' Amazing Score. And I think John Williams' score is the best uh, of all the sequels, not better than the original. But the, one of the things that makes Temple of Doom probably the, the best movie to watch is the villain, Molaram is the best villain in any of these four movies. And uh, Amrish Puri, who played Molaram, was so great in the film that you forget that he doesn't even show up until halfway through the movie. It feels yeah. like he's there the whole time. Galima. Galima. But he is fantastic. And the first 15 minutes of this movie Indiana Jones gets poison. He he's in a, a, a fight at Club Obi-Wan. He jumps out the window. There's a car chase to the airport with guns fighting. And then, you know, he gets on the plane. Nice try, Laoshe. They fly <laughs> off and he jumps out the uh, off the plane with with short round and a raft. And they fall down and, uh, and go uh, down the side of a mountain into into the rapids. I mean, there's so much going on just in the first 15 minutes of this movie. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. Quick thought, just real quick answer. Could it happen or is this literally we got to suspend disbelief on the inflatable raft? Mike, go. Suspend disbelief or you're in it when you oh, watch suspend it. Suspend disbelief. Yeah. We got, you got you to gotta suspend disbelief on that one. You're sinking I like mean, a rock. All movies you're not doing anything. <laughs> all movies are suspend disbelief. But right. that one, yeah, you're right. I'm like, this is like yeah. they wouldn't even do this on a Disney ride. Uh, no. Scott? Uh, you know, of course, you got to suspend disbelief. I mean, from the moment this movie opens, you got to suspend disbelief. And I think that just goes with the territory for the Indiana Jones movies. But at the same time, 
I I feel like the jumping out of the plane with the raft and like wrapping it around and it, you know inflating it while they're fl- falling so they have a soft landing on the snow. I don't think that's out of the realm of plausibility. I went with a a stunt like that much much better than I went with. Let's say you want to talk a preposterous stunt. Fast and Furious Nine, oh, when Vin Diesel is in his car and they they go swinging in the car over the ravine, I, I like now that's preposterous. That is no. like ridiculous. That's, so it's so yeah. bad it takes you out of the movie. But you could say that about any of the Fast and Furious movies. But that that's again is cinema. I'm cinema. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad you guys mentioned this. This is the American James Bond that's exploring the frontier of lost artifacts and so on and so forth. It's one of the reasons why I give Willie a little bit of a pass because one, I feel like her character is meant to be that way because the two men involved in the creation of this were very out on women at the beginning of this. I mean, right. George Lucas talks about his divorce. Steven Spielberg talks about his really bad breakup. Yep. And they're both in a place where poking fun or making a simplistic woman that they can manipulate and torture a little bit over the course of this film. Because let's not pretend she's screaming for a reason. All of this stuff is insane. Granted, my reaction would be side eyes and smart remarks, (laughs) but everybody's going to have a reaction to the insanity of people pulling hearts out of chests, let's be real, and gigantic spiders and getting falling out of planes and stuff. Like this is not like stuff that you're supposed to be like, I'm just going to look at my manicure. No, she's a Hollywood <laughs> movie star. Like she's pampered beyond reproach. So I appreciate her for showing the reaction that 99.9% of people will have. So let that girl have her moment. Those girls are real. Those girls are real. And if they were caught up in the hijinks of James Bond, or in this case, Indiana Jones, that's what they would do. Let's go ahead and move forward to my favorite indie. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. But for some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. The Last Crusade, um, the critics' consensus is that it's lighter and more comedic than its predecessors, Indy, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade returns the series to the brisk serial adventures of Raiders while adding a dynamite double act between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. OMG, do I love this movie. I love it, love it, love it so much. I love it for how funny it is. And it had me, River Phoenix. And oh, that part's great. Okay, yeah. He opens up this movie. And I loved it. I loved how they tried to explain his scar. I loved just that 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 shot where you see the head down and up. I love Sean Connery as a younger version of himself, like grand and different, saying no in Latin and shut up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this probably, oh God, I love that. I even watched the show that they made as an extension of this, Young Indiana Jones. I yep. watched mm-hmm. that religiously. Uh, Mance, I have a feeling you're going to break my pride right now and tell me that you don't like this movie. Uh, uh, well, first of all, Jacqueline, I completely understand. This is the first movie that introduced you to Indiana Jones. Of course you're going to love it, and I completely respect that. But here's the thing, Jacqueline. I have to say that even though I do like Last Crusade, I think it's very entertaining, it is a distant third to Temple of Doom. Once you get past the part with River Phoenix, which I think is the best part of the movie, I just feel like it's they they tried to play it 
safe after all the criticism they got for Temple of Doom being too dark and too violent. They tried to replicate the structure of Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first like third of the movie. I think that that Last Crusade is actually a weak film until Sean Connery shows up as Henry Jones. Then it gets good. And the reason it gets good is because the two of them have amazing chemistry. That's what invigorates this film and invigorates the franchise, takes it in a different direction. Dad! Oh, Dad! Oh, Dad! Ah! Head for the fireplace! Oh. But overall, I think that while Raiders of, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the production values of that movie are timeless, I feel like Last Crusade is too slick it's too polished. The Nazis in Raiders felt dangerous to me. The Nazis in Last Crusade felt like Keystone Cops. It was a little just too cartoony compared to the first two movies. I, I love it. And I think uh, the last part of the movie where, again, Indiana Jones is using his brains to get to the Holy Grail. And he chose wisely. Uh, Last Crusade, just it's, it's just third on my list, a distant third. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> such a shame. It's such a good time. The, the Nazi heifer talks in her sleep and Sean Connery was finding it out. How did you know she was a Nazi? She talks in her sleep. Mike, what about you? Please, please you know, don't it's, make it's me lay it out here alone. With no, I, I, I will never disparage uh, Last Crusade because it is a great film. But like I was, I was listening to Scott and and he articulated much better the way that I was feeling. And I couldn't put to words about the slick and polish. To me, I'd always said Last Crusade to me feels like Return of the Jedi. Everything is so polished and it's so go. clean and it it mm -hmm. feels. I always said with Raiders Lost or, or, or sorry Ra uh, Return of the Jedi, it felt very Kenner toyish, which was mm -hmm. the toys at the time. And it, like this movie, the the Nazis, they do. It, they don't feel dangerous like they felt in, in Raiders. And the exactly. special effects are, they tried to push the envelope, so I think they looked even, th that movie does not hold up as well as Raiders does now. Like a lot of the plane sequence stuff looks very late 80s special effects, whereas Raiders was less money, they had no money to do the effects, they were doing everything you know practically, and it, it just, but again, you've got the relationship with him and his father, that, that's the core of the movie. Mm. And that's so much, and I love Elsa Schneider. Duty, Allison Duty. Allison Duty. Yeah, um, yeah, I Allison. love her. Walter Donovan in there. Um, like these characters are great. You know, the whole Marcus Brody, bringing Marcus Brody in with Sala and getting everyone together and seeing Sala just be, or uh, seeing Marcus be incompetent. Brody's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grill already. Uh, does anyone here speak English or even ancient Greek? I water, no, thank you, sir. Well, that's the other thing, Mike, is that Marcus Brody, like like when you watch him, he's only in a little bit of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. And but he's, he's hilarious. On, and but but he's he's on he's on Indy's level in right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Look what I mean, I love that they gave Denim Elliott more screen time and they like he went with him basically. It was right. part of the action, but he was a buffoon. Yeah. And and I felt like yeah, I mean, at the time when I saw it in 1989, I was uh, 21. Yeah, a little bit older than you, Jacqueline. Yeah, but uh, but I do feel I did, I was like, really, that's what you're going to do to Marcus Brody? I don't think that Last Crusade 
has aged well, even though it did gross $474 million on a budget of $48 million. And it also won an Academy Award for visual effects and uh, two other Oscar nominations for sound and, of course, original score. I loved it. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And you can't have, I think you can't have it. You have to infantize, you have to infantize Indy because you have to bring in his father. And that is always going to infantize whoever it is. Okay. Mike, Mike, you just brought up, you know, just sort of going on my initial criticism about Last Crusade, describing Last Crusade as the return of the Jedi of the Indiana Jones series is extremely accurate. It was mm-hmm. a step down. So yeah. if if Raiders of the Law, if Temple of Doom is is the Empire Strikes Back, something that was really, really dark and very mature for grown-ups, then you have the the uh the, the way that Last Crusade just sort of made it like kid friendly. Yeah. Um I'm not down with that. Uh I and that's a big problem why I think that that Return of the Jedi is is the worst Star Wars movie of them all. Well, yes. Wow. I'm die on that hill. I know I'm going to get a lot, a lot of flack for that, but it's, <laughs> That's it's a strong the truth. Opinion. You know, once you see those stupid little Ewok feet yeah. walking towards Leia, I'm like, hell no, click. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, Jacqueline, you're think. As, as alone as you think you are with Last Crusade. I think there's a huge majority of people that love that film, and it's their favorite. I mean, I don't disagree, but I will yeah. say, like, I hate to like bring it and make it a generational divide because I feel like there it is, but, like, no, it's legitimately – Basically, Scott? if you're my, if you're in that like elder millennial age, you feel a certain way about it, and if you are in Gen X, you feel a certain way about it, and then like anybody after us doesn't care. Scott said it best. <laughs> it's like with Bond, like where you first see Bond. Like I was with Scott, I saw Roger Moore. He was my Bond. Yeah. I don't have the affinity for Connery, even though I know yeah. his film started it. I don't have that affinity. When I say that Connery's not my favorite Bond, people lose their mind. Uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit because I definitely want to give the fourth installment its day in the sun. Lord knows that things get cleansed with light. So let's go ahead and bring it into our fourth installment, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Well, what's he going to do now? I don't think he plans that far ahead. Oh, oh! I'd cover my ears if I were you. Critics' consensus, though the plot elements are certainly familiar, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull still delivers the thrills, and Harrison Ford's return in the title role is more than welcome. Gonna go ahead and do a little self-serving cross-promotion right now. If you want to go see my in-depth rolling my eyes so hard, I think I may have made them not pop back. You can watch me and Scott talking about this very movie on the (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast, where I have made it very clear. Oh, this movie. I remember. <laughs> this movie. Oh. And it's and as last crusade was won in the opening moments, this movie was lost in the opening moments as those rambunctious white children drove where the hell they did not need to drive. <laughs> I was right, so over all. those kids in that opening. Uh, well, well, to this day, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has the biggest budget that Steven Spielberg has ever worked with on a feature film, $185 uh, million. That is not and, a ringing endorsement. <laughs> and, and wait, but uh, what is a ringing endorsement is that the movie made $791 million worldwide. That's uh, more than twice of what Raiders made. Uh, and and to, to the point, Jacqueline, uh, 
This movie is the first Indiana Jones film to get no Academy Award nominations at all. And it is also the first Indiana Jones movie to win a Razzie Award for Worst Prequel, Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel. Now, I get the hate. You know, when I saw this movie in 2008, I was just excited to see to see Indiana Jones back on the big screen. Uh, I did not feel like it was as good as the first three movies. Uh, it is my least favorite of the four, but I still think it has its merits. I don't think that Crystal Skull is flat out bad like the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And yes, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. I think that it is better than those movies. I think it has its merits. I think the beginning of the film, the fight in the warehouse is great. I know that people have problems with the refrigerator scene, but if you're going to suspend disbelief by watching Indiana Jones jump out of a plane with a with a raft, then you got to suspend disbelief by having him hide in a refrigerator during a nuclear blast. I thought that scene was awesome. I loved oh, come it. Come on, Scott. Come on. Scott. Yeah, come on. No, no, no. Versus uh, calling. Like, you, I'm you with Scott. Face. Yeah, Mike. I'm with you, Scott. I like you said. You suspend disbelief. Like, okay, all right. It is, it is a slight suspension of disbelief to believe that you could cushion a fall like that. It is a suspension beyond belief and into science fiction to think that somebody can survive a nuclear holocaust because of a fridge. <laughs> Two, one, zero. To 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 uh, uh, just for you know, since we're throwing out trivia, the the refrigerator scene was actually a nod to Back to the Future because back when they were developing Back to the Future, the time machine was not a uh, silver DeLorean. The time machine was a refrigerator. So I yeah, thought really. That, that was- Yes, yes, I did. Yes, that. That and, correct, and, and, and you realize just how ridiculous it is. There's a great John <laughs> Mulaney bit about how it must have been to try and pitch Back to the Future to TV executives. <laughs> so this high schooler is is friends with a disgraced nuclear physicist. How old is the physicist? Nobody knows. Oh, how old? Wow. <laughs> how did wow. they become friends? Nobody, Nobody knows. knows. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, it's like, like, Jack, like this is what it is. I'm with you in the sense that the opening film, I should have kind of sensed what we were in for, but it was more so that the kids, you know, was the, they're listening to Hound Dog. It was the CGI mole hill with the CGI mole coming out, trying to recreate the Raiders with the mountain. And I just like, oh, well, what are we in for here? Like the CGI that I'm like, okay. You, and this film, I think I, it had to have been shot digitally uh, yeah. oh, because it just yeah. doesn't. Yeah look with that film as that it doesn't have and films that are made today can recreate films that were shot back then to have that same kind of stock and grain and, and and just something just felt weird the wash of the film everything like it was a haze to it that didn't help yeah so and i went in with this and i went in with this film like gosh just i had the, i had my fedora on i had everything all set like this was the film was going to be Indiana Jones back in the big screen. The trailers had led us to believe that this was going to be incredible. And like Scott said, like the warehouse at the beginning, the area 51, I enjoy that. Yeah, I enjoy him I missing over, you know, he's whipping and he over our, overestimates his leap and it goes back into the truck. And, you know, Max, like, you know, 
he says something about Indiana Jones. Like he says something like, no, 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 you don't do that. You don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know him. So the Indy that we were new in Last Crusade, he was there, but then it just kind of goes off the rails after that. I, you know, the, 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 when, when you have the nuclear blast and Indy gets out of the, of the fridge and he's, the camera is like below his waist and the camera is pointing up and you see Indy look at this big mushroom cloud and then he looks down. The world is different. It is not like the Indiana Jones we saw mm. in the thirties with mm. those first three movies. It's if to say, like, either you're going to adapt to the nuclear age, Indy, or you're going to be left behind. Yeah, now, adapt or die. Adapt or die. Now, there are things about Crystal Skull I don't like. Uh, the swinging monkeys, uh, I think that's ridiculous. And I love Kate Blanchett, two-time uh, Oscar winner Kate Blanchett. I, I love her immensely as an actress. Uh, uh, her accent in this movie is uh, leaves a lot to be desired. But – I still think uh, Crystal Skull on its own merits is still fun. When I rewatched it, Jacqueline, when I rewatched it for that Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong discussion that we had, I was surprised by how much it actually does hold up. Now, if you're going to compare it and hold it to the standards of the first three movies, which of course you're going to have to do because they're all part of the same series, they're all part of the same quadrilogy, then of course you're going to see a drop in quality. But I don't think it's as bad as people say. I think it still holds up. I think it has aged pretty well. And I think people who hate the film, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it again. I think it's on Paramount Plus and you'll see that, you know, maybe maybe it's not so bad. What's going to be interesting with this one, I do feel with Crystal Skull in particular, it's sort of like working with George, their friendship. He defers to him a lot. And I know George wanted to go to space and aliens with Indy. And it was something that I think Spielberg fought in the first, you know, iterations was getting too outlandish. And I think when they sort of like, you know, they became friends, it's like, okay, well, we're gonna do it your way this time, right? I have a feeling um, if we turn to Indy 5, one of the things that I think and I hope is I want Steven Spielberg, when he operates from sentimentality, which is weird when I say this, not nostalgia, sentimentality. When Steven Spielberg operates from sentimentality, he's the worst director. And I'm not saying he's a bad director. I'm saying he's the worst version of himself as director. Sentimentality is Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Uh, sentimentality is Hook. That's I not agree nostalgia. Completely. And so yeah. I just yeah. hope that he removes his sentimentality for Indy 5 and he works more the way that he did with West Side Story, which is take your love for this thing, but realize that you're going to have to make adjustments to make it into something great. And I think we have really a lot to look forward to. Mike, what about you? What are you looking forward to in hopefully Indy 5? Um, I'll say this. Uh, after Crystal Skull, I was kind of not put off. I was like, all right, that really shouldn't have happened. And I'm one of those guys, I don't want to see a new actor in the role. Like to me, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones and people did for a while. There was, there was Chris Pratt talk. And um, I, I don't know if I want to see another Indiana Jones film while Harrison Ford. So when they announced this one and then for a while there Spielberg was attached to it. And then I was like, I don't know. He's I mean, Harrison Ford was great in this and he's great. as Han Solo and force awakens. And he, he proved he still looks great. But then the change for me was Mangold when yeah. Mangold was brought on yep. and what he did with Logan. Yep. And gave a fitting swan song to this man that has played this role for you know, 9, 11 films for 20 years now. I was like, okay. 2000. 
Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, now I feel better in the with what's going to happen. I'm and now I want to say I'm almost more excited. Like, okay, they're going to give India a fitting end. This is going to be it. Harrison Ford's come back one more time. You know, they'll learn their lessons with what they did. Less CGI monkeys. I hope like Mutt doesn't show up. I think that was such a poor choice. Uh, and not the fact of Indy having a son is a bad choice. It was just the casting of Shia at the time. He was the guy, you know, the young actor at the time. They, and it just didn't work. So I'm cautiously optimistic going forward. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. First of all, you, you hit the hit nail on the head, Mike, because when they first announced Indiana Jones 5, my feeling was, uh, look, Indiana Jones 4, okay, you have one film that's weak. Well, uh, let, let's, let's just leave it at that. If you have another weak Indiana Jones movie, you're going to dilute the franchise. And that's the last thing anybody wants is to see the quality of the overall series brought down with a fifth movie uh, that, that, uh, and one that, if, that, God forbid, isn't, isn't good. But what turned me around, what got me excited about Indiana Jones 5, like you pointed out, Mike, is that Spielberg is not directing it. The director for Indy 5 is going to be James Mangold, who not only did a great job with Logan. I mean, he did an amazing job with Logan. But you're talking about a director who has done basically every movie he does is in a different genre. Copland was a cop drama. Uh, Walk the Line, uh, the the story about uh, June Carter and Johnny Cash from 2005 is fantastic. And of course, Logan is great. And I loved Ford versus Ferrari from 2019. All these movies are from different types of genres. So I think if anybody is going to really steer Indiana Jones back into being a like sort of end them on a high note here and really do away with the swinging monkeys and the flying saucers, it's going to be James Mangold. There's no way that he's I, – I just have uh, – weird to say – Jacqueline and Mike, but I have more faith in James Mangle directing an Indiana Jones movie than than Spielberg because of what you said, Jacqueline, about how when he leans into sentimentality, you get movies like Hook, which I think is the worst Steven Spielberg movie. I mean, I love Hook. I'm not saying that it's a bad movie as far as enjoyment. I'm just saying that is a bad movie as far as filmmaking that he is capable of. Look, uh, the movie that he made after um, Schindler's List was Jurassic World, The Lost World. And it was because he could not emotionally invest in another movie after doing Schindler's List. As a Jewish man writing that story, making that story, having to go through an entire season of talking about it because of Oscars was just too much for him. And so he wanted to do something sentimental and familiar. And we get The Lost World. The question begs, I guess, Scott, since you've already, I think, sort of said it. The, you, I guess you think this is the best quadrilogy. I have to say, Jackass has entered the chat, and having seen now all four of those, I know that you're wrong because that is those four movies. There's not a weak. There's not a weak note in the band. That is four movies of awesome, and grad and bad grandpa is like a nice little amuse bouche. <laughs> so, is it the greatest quadrilogy of all time? Well, it definitely has a run for its money in terms of. Mad Max. All four of those movies are great. And, you know, uh, the, the fourth one is absolutely fantastic. Fury Road. I mean, uh, uh, for a fourth film in a, in a quadrilogy, I mean, that's what makes that series great. So is it the best? Uh, I think it's one of the best. But I don't know. I kind of think that Mad Max might actually be better because all four of those movies are just perfect. 
you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb being a DC guy. And I'm going to say the original four that they kind of lumped together, Burton and Schumacher's. They kind of group that. They always mm. put it in a four pack of Blu-rays together. They stick that on the four K four pack together. You know, that's kind of like the nineties Batman. Uh-uh. Schumacher. <laughs> you're talking you about a girl. Going, hey, they took worship. the sixties Batman show and wanted to make a live action version of that. It works. And Clooney, Clooney's got charm for days. Like I'm not Stop. on the Toy Story train. My, I know people love those my, films, Toy Story. I'm not on that train. But oh, Mad Max, Scott brings up a good one. Mad Max, I didn't think about great. that. You, you Toy are Toy a master. I, I'm thinking just like you know, live action here. But Toy Story is also yeah. uh, up there, and definitely. I mean, all four of those movies are great. The first three are absolutely yeah. great. The first three, and I mean, the first one was a, was the first computer animated feature film ever made back in 1995, and the fourth, the, the third one. Uh, was nominated for Best Picture, and it yeah. was the best of of all four movies. But because it was because it's animated, I, I don't think of it on the same level as like, you know, Mad Max or Indiana Jones. But Mike with the Batman quadrilogy there, but <laughs> Batman and Robin just doesn't do right? it for me. And no. Batman Returns, I I think that movie has aged well. But it's like those four movies are like a roller coaster. You got the the first one, then the second one, then the third one, and then the fourth yeah. one. You know, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, no. Hey, they took big swings. They didn't always land on those ones, but as a whole, and now looking back at, I'm like, you know, it, it was a time period of the '90s, and but that's yeah, that's what I have to go. But the Mad Max, that's a good one. I didn't think about Mad that. Mad Max is a really good one. I stand by Jackass, but. I agree. Before we leave, I guess my last question to, all, to you guys is, what do you think would be the best example of sort of like that indie style movie? And there's so many examples. I mean, you have Lara Croft, both versions. You have the Uncharted coming up on it. But then you also have like, I would say more under the radar type stuff like Romancing the Stone and Treasure uh, Planet and Goonies. And then there's stuff too that people forget, which I think are very good, like Fool's Gold and National Treasure. Uh, what do you think is the best Indiana Jones film riff off or film that sort of riffs on that sort of like trying to find trying to find treasure uh film and mike i'll start with you now to think about it maybe that was maybe that's why raiders is so great because there's been many imitators but nothing has gone like yeah that's like i know people love national treasure i can't get behind those movies i've tried uh listen you know mike i i i enjoyed the first national treasure it came out in 2004 i think uh listen romancing the stone if you're looking at a standalone film Right. I would say romancing, romancing the stone from 1984 is is the one that's on the level, but not, well, on the level Raiders, not quite there, but close enough. In terms of franchises, of course, you know the Mummy, starring Brendan oh, Fraser. You know those one. movies are a lot of fun. I, yeah. I, good one. You know, uh, and and look, that was the reason point. why I'm saying that the the uh, the Mummy series is actually a worthy uh, sort of successor. It's because I'm leaning into the word ripoff. And those mm, movies mm. are such a blatant ripoff of the Indiana Jones series that they lean into the fact that they are a ripoff. That is a self-aware film series that knows what it's ripping off and it goes with it. And I think that's actually one of the charms of those movies. Of course, Rachel Weisz is terrific and sort of like the Marion Ravenwood role. And Brendan Fraser was very, very good. But another film that is often overlooked, and I'm, I don't even know if a lot of people even know about this movie, came out in 2005. It's called Duma. 
Duma is about a relationship between a young a young kid and his cheetah, who he named Duma, and they go off on this adventure, and it's very very much like Indiana Jones. Trust me, and let me know what you think. I love this movie; it's wonderful. My favorite one that since you took the mummy, I'll say this: it's not the movies, but the books that Dan Brown did. Mm. Oh, uh, with yeah. Robert Landon uh, are actually right. quite incredible in that adventure-seeking treasure type thing. Robert sure. Landon is a smart man's Indiana Jones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The movie you know what is I mean? not so much. Actually, Angels and yeah. Demons. Uh, Angels and Demons of, yeah. is the best yeah. of it. And that was what's so crazy about it is it got the worst reputation, but it's actually the best of it. And yeah, Angels and Demons is also the best book for folks that don't know. Anyway, oh, moving moving out of the Dan Brown Literary Agency and going ahead and wrapping up the after show. Gentlemen, this was such a great conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, uh, let folks know where they can find you, uh, Scott, and what to so be You just follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And again, watch Duma and then hit me up on Twitter at Movie Mance, let me know what you think of this wonderful film. Watch it with the whole family. I promise you will not be sorry. All right, Mike, sir, what you working on? Where can folks find you? Uh, at Mike Kalinowski on all my social media. I got uh, my very first book will be out in bookstores uh, uh, Jan- uh, February 15th. It's Bond, James Bond, Exploring the Shaken and Stirred History of Ian Fleming's 007. Uh, it's my first book with uh, a man named Brad Gilmore who wrote a book on Back to the Future, uh, kind of best-selling book on Back to the Future, brought me on because of my love of James Bond. And now it's funny, we were talking, we were doing a kind of a series of podcasts, and we're just we were talking about Indiana Jones, and he goes, huh, and that should be our next book. So oh, I, and now you, cool. you talking to the two of you guys here, it, it just got it's such a these two franchises, Bond and especially Indiana Jones, are, are just so kind of I guess it's just, you know, they've been so with us for so long and they're so beloved and, and, and we all have our stories and love of them. And I think it's uh, it's wonderful. I'd love to talk with you guys. So thanks for letting me have uh, be here with you guys. Yeah, thanks yeah, so much. Really this was a great conversation. Thank you. So great. All right, that's it for us uh, this week. Again, I'm Jacqueline. You can find me everywhere at that Jacqueline and we'll see all of you next time on the After Show. <laughs>